I'm Ken, and you're listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone. The title of my first album was Songs from the Journey. It was Ken's plan to name and number subsequent releases while retaining the title, but just add Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, etc. While we recorded part of another album, we've never finished it. Not yet, but we will. So the idea to create and produce this podcast dates back to early 2018, when Ken came up with a concept. When you are whistling in the graveyard, what is the song you whistle? When you're singing in the rain, what is it you're singing? And why? It took us a while for this project to get traction. We've produced over 40 podcast episodes, spread among five other shows, before Ken could get his head around this project. So we're finally doing this. So what's the premise of this show? Published monthly, we're going to highlight the triumphs and challenges of various artists and the songs that have inspired and comforted them along the way. Ken and I specialize in doing our own arrangements of classic Christian music, but we will be featuring music from many different genres in our episodes of this podcast. In addition to sharing music that makes our hearts sing, we will feature snippets from non-musicians as they share their journeys in a segment we call A View from the Pews. When I was a kid, a well-known company released a TV commercial with a really, really catchy jingle. This company sold food products made of meat. Now, my family was vegetarian, way back when vegetarianism wasn't even cool. So I had never tasted meat, but I loved this commercial. I loved the jingle. I was fascinated by the words and the melody. I walked around singing the song, and at times when I couldn't sing the song, it would play in my head a lot. Sometimes in school, sometimes when I was supposed to be doing something else, it just played a lot in my head. And I lo- one thing I loved about the tune is that it's really upbeat, optimistic, and fun. And I still really love that tune. I'm sure you're going to find it familiar, but I'm not going to tell you what it is just yet. So as I continued growing up, I guess it became obvious to my parents and some family members that I had a little extra special talent. I've always loved hymns, and our family was basically in church every time they opened the doors, and many, many times it was our family members who were up front playing the organ, playing the piano, performing solos, singing in choirs, ensembles, all kinds of things. So I started performing early and often. And 
you know, this was within the confines of church music. So um, I remember the summer when I was 11 years old, my piano teacher gave me an assignment for the summer when um, she didn't have lessons, she didn't teach in the summer, but she gave me an assignment to go through the hymnal of my parents' church and learn how to play every hymn in the hymnal, which was around 600, I believe, at that time. So I did, and she showed me something life-changing. She showed me how to play the chord in my right hand and to take the bass note and play an octave of that bass note with my left hand. And she said, if you play the hymns like this, it sounds a million percent better, it sounds really professional, and people will just love it. So... I immediately began playing the hymns that way. I went through the hymnal and learned how to play all 600 of them, of the songs that summer. As I continued to, you know, be at the front, always playing for religious meetings, church services, whatever, there were other things going on in my life. So... Later on in the podcast, in this episode, I'm going to go into that a little further. But I just want you to know I'm really glad that you're listening, and thank you for being with us on this journey as we describe some of the songs that have helped us get through really hard times and ways that we've used them in all kinds of situations to express all kinds of ideas and thoughts and sometimes use them for revenge. Let's hear from Angel about her journey as she seeks the God of her own understanding, one that works for her and helps her. I really uh, have a problem (laughs) and have to pray for the people that, you know, they have their religion, but their religion tells them that I have to have their religion or I'm going to hell. And that I have a huge problem with. Number one, I don't believe in hell. I've already been there. It was my alcoholism. And and I'm walking my way back out. And for, for me, my hell was separation from my higher power. And I'd been told lies about God. I, I believed him. I believed that he was just ready to beat me over the head if I did anything wrong. Take my kids for not going to church. That is horrible. That 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 is just, and it's not true. It is not true. If you're hurting, if if you're happy, if, if you're whatever, man, uh, great spirit is the answer for me. It sticks with me all the time, uh, ride or die. I always have my higher power with me because that's just how my life works now. And does that mean that I'm going to be skipping through tulips every day? No, but I'm going to guarantee you one thing. I will be skipping in the tulips more days than I'm not because I'm not out trying to buy a monkey at 3 o'clock in the morning anymore. You know, there's nothing for me out there. I'm living the life I've always wanted to live. And it's because I choose, this alcoholic chooses to do something different. We invite you to visit our website, muchmoretosay.weebly.com. That's much more, the number two, 
say.weebly.com. So when I was a really young kid, my musical journey began. Um, I've been told that when I was four years old, I was able to play recognizable tunes on the piano by ear, and nobody taught me how. I just would pick out tunes to songs that I knew, you know, two-fingered, but still they were recognizable tunes. And um, so I guess family members recognized pretty early that I had a good ear and that I really, really was uh, ready for piano lessons. So my sister Kay began teaching me, and then a few years later when I started school, I started with a real bona fide teacher. Although Kay was a good teacher, she really was. So I was from a very large, very musical family, and my brother Rob, who's an 11 years older than I, and I were the two that were singled out, I guess, as being musically more talented, maybe, than some of the others. Um, but we were, I guess, special in that we were asked a lot to perform more than our siblings. So his specialty was singing solos, and mine was playing the piano. I wasn't old enough to really accompany him. That was my sister Adele's job, but so I can remember big fights every time they rehearsed because <laughs> he wanted her to play perfectly and she's not a perfect person or a pianist and he's not a perfect singer or person either. So they they clashed a lot, but um, I was always really glad I was too young to have to accompany him. <laughs> So I do remember, though, that any time company came over, my mom suddenly became like our de facto agent or manager. She, Would you like to hear my daughter play the piano? I honestly can remember playing the piano for the milkman, y'all. <laughs> there was a guy that delivered milk to our house in glass bottles. He's stuck in my parents' house while this little snotty-nosed eight-year-old is playing her favorite tune for him. <laughs> I know that was the very last thing he wanted, but I guess he didn't want to tick my mom off because <laughs> our family was large and we drank a lot of milk. The good thing about that is that I've played for so many people and started doing it so young, so I don't really get stage fright, which has been a real blessing because I know some other musicians that are really burdened with that, and it causes so much stress and inner turmoil for them. They just tie themselves into knots, but thankfully I was able to escape that. So... In our family, it was very large and very chaotic. We were all very loud. So I guess the family motto was, if you can't be right, be wrong at the top of your lungs. In our family also, family image was more important than the family members were. So I guess when Rob was a teenager, he got tired of singing solos in church and so he decided he was going to sing three songs. 
And every time he was asked to sing a solo, he sang one of those three songs. And his hope was that they would get tired of hearing him sing the same three songs and would eventually stop asking him to sing, which is what happened. And I don't think my parents ever caught on because he would have been in trouble. We were supposed to sing when anyone wanted us to sing. And if mom had ever figured out what he was doing, he would have been in deep trouble, but she never figured it out. So they stopped asking him and he didn't have to sing in church anymore. So when I, by the time I was a little bit older, he had gone off to college. So I was then the one that performed a lot, um, and played for services, so I was always, always at the piano up front in the church. I had a really strained relationship with my mom. I was a big-time daddy's girl, and my dad worked a lot, but I just adored him. But my mom and I had a harder time getting along. I did, though, I had surrogate moms. There were other moms in the neighborhood, um, in the community, friends, you know, of my parents that were just so kind to me and loving and sweet. And I guess for a while, I kind of thought they probably liked me because they liked my music. But after a while, I realized that they liked me just because they liked me. And to this day, I still love them very much, and we're still close. So one way that I responded to my mother's, I won't call her a control freak, let's just call her a very um, a very big control enthusiast. And uh, I, I had a lot of rebelliousness and... It really wasn't allowed in our family to show it openly. So I wore that inside, and when other grown-ups weren't around, it would come out. But I kind of wore rebellion like a badge of honor. And so, you know, I kind of had a flippant attitude and stuff. And so one time, it was I was 16, and it was in the springtime, and uh, my sister Adele was home from college. She um, is about eight years older than I am, I guess. And so there was a, it was a big special weekend um, at my parents' church. There was a famous speaker coming in to preach, and it was alumni weekend. So the parochial school that was right there on the campus with the church was having alumni weekend, so there were, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand people there, all told during the course of the weekend. But my parents' church seated about 600 people, and that particular service that I was going to be playing for um, was going to be standing room only. So... The afternoon before that evening program, my sister Adele um, asked me what was I going to play that night. And in true Waller fashion, I hadn't decided. I hadn't really thought about it. <laughs> but she wanted to know because she had also inherited some of my mother's control enthusiast um, attitude, I guess. 
but she wanted to know because she wanted it to pass her her tests and and you know she wanted it to be good and special and fairly intricate she wanted me to show off i guess so you know what are you going to play for the prelude while people gather so i played a song and she said nope that's not good enough play something else so i played something else and i think i had to play like three or four songs before she granted her permission okay you can play that one and then you know she was like what are you going to play for you know, the postlude when people are leaving. So it was several songs I went through till she finally settled. Okay, well, you can play that one. And um, I was getting kind of impatient because already at age 16, I was a better pianist than she was. <laughs> so I was not particularly thrilled that she was putting me through this exercise of she got to pick what I was going to play. Then she says, well, what are you going to play for the offertory? And some of my exasperation was showing. I was like, oh, Adele, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Nobody listens to me play anyway. You know, they just, if they see me up there, oh, Celia's playing. Isn't that nice? But they don't really pay attention. I could play the Oscar Mayer Wiener song, and they wouldn't know the difference because they don't listen. And her eyes grew big as saucers. And she goes, I dare you. And so I rubbed my fingers together in a familiar um, motion of greed and said, how much, sister? How much is it worth to you? And she told me 50 bucks. She told me she would pay me 50 bucks if I would play the Oscar Mayer Wiener song for the offertory that night. So I played the prelude. It was standing room only. Both of my parents were sitting in the audience, smiling proudly because their Celia was playing the piano and representing the family well, I guess. And uh, it came time for the offertory. I sat down and I started playing and I went into the Oscar Mayer Wiener song. It was a way I could express my rebellion to a whole church full of people. And I really didn't believe that anybody would figure it out because I really believed that nobody really listened to me when I was playing. There were no bolts of lightning that came from the sky. My microphone didn't burst and scar my face. Nothing happened. After the service was over, the wife of the boys' dean, one of my surrogate moms, Sharon Walcott, came up to me and she goes, Celia, there's a song that you played for the offertory and I can't think of the name of it. What is the name of that song? And we burst out laughing, both of us. And she said, I thought so. <laughs> you rascal. And then she left. So for the next couple of weeks, I was treading very carefully, waiting for a phone call or waiting for mom to start yelling. And uh, the call never came. In fact, my parents learned about that 10 years after that happened. Well, my dad busted out laughing. And my mom got mad. Why, Celia Elizabeth, that is so sacrilegious. 
it took her about two years before she was able to laugh about that. But she finally was because Sharon, my surrogate mom, kept that close to herself because she knew I would be in too much trouble. And thank you, Sharon. I love you still. I met Ken almost 10 years ago. So when Ken heard that story, he immediately said, I want to join in with this. And if you come see us in concert one day, keep your ears open because you might just hear this song. We invite you to visit our website, muchmoretosay.weebly.com. That's much more than number two, say.weebly.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our brand new blog where you will find audio, video, post, essays, and the latest news and notes. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This has been a production of the Descant MMG Podcast Network.